Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben Wilson and today I'm sitting down with uh, my friend and guest Eric Gaudet who is our local pharmacist here in Basha and owner of Basha Pharmasave. Eric, welcome to the podcast and thanks so much for meeting up with me today. Oh, thank you, Ben. So happy to be here for sure. This is really fun um, doing podcasts, recordings face to face. Uh, lately, I've been doing a lot of them on Zoom, which is amazing because then we can reach people from anywhere. Like last week, I was recording uh, with a guest from Yellowknife, which was just a fantastic conversation, uh, hearing about what their community has been through with the wildfires and evacuations this summer and all of the challenges of that. Um, so that one is definitely worth checking out for any of our listeners who didn't catch last uh, the last episode. Uh, but it's always fun too, to just connect with someone face-to-face and the energy's uh, different when you're able to have a conversation in the same room as, as someone. We've, we've all had our fill of Zoom, I think, <laughs> the last few years. Uh, I don't know if you ha- have reached that saturation point yourself. Oh, for sure. Who hasn't, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I guess maybe a great place to start off, Eric, is just uh, maybe for you to introduce yourself a little, to share with our listeners a little bit about um, yourself as a, as a pharmacist. Oh, sure. Why don't we start there? That's uh, a loaded question, but I'll try to keep it brief. So uh, yeah, so I am a licensed pharmacist in Alberta here um, and have been uh, since 2016. Uh, But pharmacy is kind of my second career, I guess. Before that, uh, I I used to work for TELUS uh, and I've got a business degree. So um, yeah, it was a busy time and it was just a wonderful career, but I was working a lot, traveling a ton. um, And before Georgie and I uh, had kids, we thought, is this the life that we want? Mm. (laughs) Uh, Traveling and and doing that kind of thing and lots of discussions. And we said, well, if uh, I can get into pharmacy school, I was always a science kid uh, to start. Um, We would move to small town Alberta and we haven't looked back. It's been amazing. So you grew up in Edmonton. That's right. So we're not too far from from your hometown, but a lot smaller community. (laughs) (laughs) So coming out of of, uh, school um, and heading into this new career, uh, what did, how did you feel about moving to such a small community? I mean, loved it, right? So I know before we moved, uh, George and I had been together for probably a decade by that point. So okay. had visited lots and spent lots of time here. And uh, actually, when in my childhood, we lived for one year in Athabasca. It was grade one and it was the best year of my oh, childhood. Okay. So um, yeah, happy to raise a family here and mm. uh, enjoy all the perks of small town life. It's amazing. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, we've, I don't know... I think I think there's basically always been a pharmacy in in town here and it's so important to have that local resource to the community in terms of just the overall health care of our community members um, but there's but you've brought a lot of changes to uh, the pharmacy with the new pharmasave um, what was sort of your your vision for um, bringing that to to our town. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Why don't we uh, start? Hopefully I don't bore you guys too much with this, but um, so yeah, the pharmacy in Bashaw has been here for over 110 years. That's crazy. Yeah. It's amazing history, right? Right on main street, same building, all that kind of stuff. So um, when we purchased a store, we knew we had big shoes to fill, right? So uh, definitely it's been a pillar of the community and so important to just the general health of of the area, right? Mm. So um, having said that though, we knew... Um, that we needed to modernize the practice 
a little bit. So the scope of practice for pharmacists in Alberta is unique in Canada and actually in the world. We've got one of the broadest scopes of practice. So what that really means is uh, pharmacists in Alberta once you prove competency and get assessed, um, you can do a lot more things than what other pharmacists can do in other places in Canada and around the world. So we can uh, assess and treat many conditions. We can manage medications. We can prescribe. We can order blood work, um, all that kind of stuff. So, mm. um, so, so neat yeah. <laughs> that uh, we have that opportunity now. Um, and so we knew that, yeah, with the store, we just needed a bit of a refresh and... Um, uh, kind of a rejig and focus on driving more care from the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah right? which is so important in a small town where like we don't have a hospital, we don't have an ER, we don't have somewhere that bigger that you can go unless you're going to leave the community and, you know, go to a different town. Um, and so being able to, to get in to see you uh, with, you know, maybe not life-threatening, but some <laughs> urgent yeah. uh, care needs is, is huge, I'm sure, especially for our vulnerable populations that either aren't able to travel or seniors, that sort of thing. Um, I know that you guys have made a, a lot of changes to the building, uh, big renovations, and uh, but really neat how like things like the ceiling tiles are, are kept <laughs> with that old kind of stamped tin, like kind of a, mirrors back to that original pharmacy from 110 years ago hey that's, totally that's we, so cool yeah we feel a huge uh responsibility it's uh, although we technically own the pharmacy we really view it as it's the communities right so mm. that historical aspect and uh that history we don't want to lose it is it's got a very unique feel and yeah yeah definitely uh as part of the renos we knew we needed to renovate it but somehow hold on to that historical treasure that yeah it is. got it yeah um yeah so it, I, I think most people are probably like me and not super knowledgeable about the field of pharmacy. And I thought it, when I found out, I, I don't know when, a few years ago, that you were a prescribing pharmacist, that that was distinct from pharmacists, like you said, in other provinces. And I'm, I'm sure some pharmacists in within Alberta, too, don't have that designation or that licensing to be able to prescribe certain medications. Um, that's huge that you that you have that. But you also recently were accepted into a program that's even more distinguished than, <laughs> than that. Um, tell me a little bit about that program and how you found yourself there. Yeah, good question. So the program you're talking about, uh, it's called uh, Pharmacist Training for Comprehensive Primary Care uh, dash <laughs> advanced <laughs> uh, uh, primary care pharmacist. So uh, it's a mouthful of a name, uh, but um, Kind of delivering healthcare is in a significant evolution right now. So uh, it's a system that was designed, you know, 70 years ago mm. uh, with the advent of Medicare in uh, Canada and our education, how we educate healthcare professionals, whether that's physicians or pharmacists or nurses or across the whole spectrum has evolved significantly, but mm. how we actually deliver healthcare hasn't really changed, right? Mm. So most of us are familiar with the hospitals and then of course our 
normal physician clinic. Uh, and that's how things have operated, yeah, for long Forever. Time. Forever, <laughs> right? Uh, but healthcare in general, people's health has become way more complicated. Uh, we're all living longer. We're living with way more chronic conditions than what we ever used to. And we have way more treatments than what we ever did before, right? right? Both drug treatments and non-drug treatments. And so um, how I was trained in school is to work as a team. So more heads looking at the problem, trying to support patients in their health goals is better than one. Yeah. Um, and so what this training does uh, is it tries to add to that capacity for pharmacists uh, because across the country, we all have different scopes and different legal authorities. Mm. It's trying to drive uh, a little bit, I guess, of consistency across the country in terms of what pharmacists can bring to the table for primary care yep. delivery um, and also move the needle on the kind of interdisciplinary approach to healthcare. Right? Pun, pun so, not intended, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> move exactly. the needle. yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love the yeah. sounds of the, the team and kind of a network approach because you're right, as it's gotten more complicated, just healthcare and health in general, um, you see in the field of medicine kind of this hyper-specialization where people can get so specialized, they know more than any human being in the world uh, about, you know, the kidney specifically. Or so you have this like urologist who knows everything about this one system, but they, they have almost no um, depth of knowledge in any other system in the body. And so, but our bodies don't work in isolation. You know, everything is inter so interconnected, our hormone systems, our our circulatory system, our cardiovascular system, everything is connected to everything. And so how do you holistically treat a patient and everything that's going on for them um, with just one specialist? Like, I think there's so much value in having specialization, but then you also don't want to lose that holistic it's kind of a double-edged sword, hey? Totally. And that is that is a constant balance, I think, in terms of mm. how we treat people is, yeah, we need those specialists. We need those strong, strong minds in one area. Yeah. They're, they're experts. But then uh, certainly my job as a community pharmacist um, and, um, you know, a, a general practitioner, physician and that kind of thing is really to be there, to be that generalist that supports mm. that patient. So, yes, you've got, you know, up. Some people have upwards of 10 specialists that are working on their wow. their healthcare when the really, really complex cases. But our job is then to coordinate that and help the patient through all of those different specialties, but also mm. listen to the patient and see that, okay, this one specialist is recommending this, but you know, it's it's only this one system they're looking at. But what you're presenting to me is, well, that's now affecting this. And so yeah, it's wow. it's very complicated. It's very complex yeah. and uh, takes a lot of uh, teamwork back and forth to optimize, you know, that patient's health. Yeah. Right? So um, it as I'm picturing you in your workplace in that role, it, it feels like I'm imagining that uh, there's a lot of research involved and then there's a lot of, like, because, because you don't have that uh, depth of knowledge in specific areas, but you're sort of that bridging piece between some of those different areas, um, it's, it's almost like you have the role of like a navigator or a facilitator of that person's healthcare 
between all these different doctors that they're working with in some cases. Totally. Absolutely. That would be a, a good way to put it. I mean, as uh, it's primary care is, is, you know, in the field of medicine, it's not always the most exciting part, but for me personally, I think it's the most exciting part because <laughs> I get to connect with people, right? right. So yeah. uh, how I practice is I really spend the time with people. I want to get to know them, see what their problems are and how I can help them, right? It's not mm. just looking at your blood work or looking at this one diagnostic test and saying, oh, your heart's not working properly. We need to get this heart working better. It's really tell me more about what's going on, right? What else mm. are you feeling besides this? And, yeah. you know, how's your finances? How, what are the struggles? How's your diet? How are you eating? And um, yeah. how can we really look at you as a whole person and not just your diagnostic tests and, and your blood work? Yeah. And how can we look after your health goals, right? So wow. lots yeah. of people, lots of clinicians will push you know, one path forward and you need to take all these pills. But my approach is around education and working with the patient around what they want at the end yeah. of the day um, and taking the time with them because everybody's busy in in their specialties and they want to see as many patients as possible. And uh, at the community level or the primary care level, I personally believe it's our job to take that time, educate, listen mm. and um, support the, the patient that's in front of you. Yeah. Wow. Um, treating the whole person is, I love the way you described that. I, I don't know if you come up, have come, I'm sure you've come up against this, but there is sort of this, um, sometimes this reputation of pharmacists as just pill pushers or just like, here's a, or, or, but <laughs> sure. yeah. it starts before that. It's, it's, there's this reputation of doctors just not having the time. Yeah. And you know, it's a real, it's a huge problem. We have a huge doctor shortage in Canada. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically in Alberta for sure, where in six minutes they can't look at the whole picture. Um, and so they pull out that prescription pad pretty quick, lots of times and here that try this. And if it doesn't work, come back, come back and see me. Yeah. And it, often it is just treating the thing, the one complaint that they've brought in and they don't have the time to unpack their whole patient history, their whole story, their whole, everything they're going, that's going on in their life, the stresses, the different things, how are they eating? What are their lifestyles? Um, and so for a pharmacist to have that approach of like, no, I, I've got some time here. I want to hear everything that's going on for you. Let's look at this from all these different angles. Is, is that unusual or is that sort of a, is there sort of a renaissance happening yeah. <laughs> within the farms? Yeah. Pharmacy industry? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, it might be unusual. I, I, I kind of hope that it's not unusual, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm a true believer that as a healthcare provider, our job is just care and that's care in the sense of medical care, but that's also care in the sense of you're a person, I'm a person, I care for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, I think, you know, it might be a bit unique in that maybe larger practices, they're busier, there's a bit more corporate complexity behind the scenes mm -hmm. around staffing and things mm -hmm. like that, that that may make the way that I deliver care uh, more difficult for those pharmacists. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I hope not. I mean, there's a lot of good stories I hear from patients about, oh, I'm so thankful for my pharmacists and whether that's me or other pharmacists, because right. uh, for some reason, I don't know if it's a profession thing or we're sometimes able to just cut through, <laughs> yeah, cut through some of the anxiety and the, the harshness that the medical system can be for patients. Yeah. So. I think people 
um, have a lot of frustration when they, for people who have been battling with something that's causing pain or causing like causing chronic pain, affecting their sleep, um, causing stress or anxiety. Like the our health is so core to our. I mean, it literally is our well-being, right? And so your quality of life can be so drastically impacted if you're dealing with something, not finding solutions, not feeling heard, not feeling understood, not just having answers of like what is actually going on. I think we've almost all, all of us have, have been there with something maybe small or major. Um, and it's, it's so important to have someone that really does care. Do you, do you feel like it's easier to provide that in such a small community where you really start to get to know um, the community members. You're not, I'm sure you're not uh, having that many people walk in the door that are <laughs> from Edmonton or from yeah. far away. Like yeah. mostly you're dealing with people who yeah. you bump into on Main Street or you see them at events and, and you know, you know us. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah. I, it certainly helps, right? I mean, so much of building uh, relationships with patients is about just getting to know them as people, right? Yeah. So um, I think I'm a better clinician when I, know the person not just simply what we call the patient chart which is all the symptoms or the issues sure. on, a, on a page on the page right so yeah yeah definitely um i think it, it does help and uh, um from a care perspective and maybe a medical care perspective it also helps that although i can never say it in interactions you know i might know the grandparent or right. <laughs> or the aunt or yeah. the cousin and so um sometimes i have this a uh, unique picture of family history that maybe other care providers wouldn't sure. uh, because they don't, they don't know how people fit together or, right, yeah. um, or that, or they don't see the whole family kind of yeah. thing. Right. So I'm sure in some yeah. cases uh, you, you're, you're providing care to the older generation within a family. And when you see their kids or their grandkids walk in, are do you sort of in the back of your head have like a, I can, I have this almost crystal ball of like, I know where this is headed like with hereditary or you know, genetic things. You're like, I, you know, we're dealing with this with your mom or your yeah. dad right now and it could be part of your future. Yeah. I mean, definitely that's always in your mind, right? Yeah. So, so much of, of health is just your genetics, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it definitely um, plays a, a neat role. I think, I don't know if any other practices get that the way that we get it here because you just yeah. you do know everybody right? yeah so well and and you've been here long enough now that you're seeing new people come to the community i'm sure like you're pretty established here and have have really gotten to know i mean we're less than 900 people yeah. so <laughs> chances are the majority of the entire town yeah. have been through your doors at some point for sure yeah yeah, yeah i've been here a decade now so yeah, yeah. it's wow. it's awesome yeah. Um, one big thing that I'm sure has changed in your field is the degree to which patients come in having already done their own research yeah. and their own learning about what they're dealing with or they're Googling. And, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> I hear so often anytime anyone in our family is struggling with something like, don't Google it. <laughs> you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to see all the scary stuff that might come up because yeah. you can convince yourself that you have almost anything based on a couple of symptoms, right? Sure. But on the flip side, there's a lot of value in the WebMD articles that you can find and, um, and maybe sometimes, uh, have a bit of reassurance that, oh, okay, well, this sounds like it's pretty normal or I can try this at home, maybe even before going in to see my family doctor, especially when there are long wait times, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, again, another one of those kind of double-edged swords, pros and cons. Um, do you find you often have to 
uh, educate people on things that they've either gone down a rabbit hole and they've got themselves convinced that they're dying of X, Y, or Z, <laughs> and you need to kind of rein that in? Or is it really helpful when someone comes in and they've done a lot of their own research and exploring? Yeah. You know what? I never discourage research at the end of the day, having uh, that conversation with a patient who has looked stuff up online. They come in with some knowledge. Right. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, <laughs> you go, okay, it's okay. Trust me. <laughs> this isn't what it is. It's, it's okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you do have to do some reassure, reassurance and some educating, sure. but, um, for the most part, I, yeah, I actually love it when patients come in and they've got some ideas and some thoughts and they want to talk about it. And yeah. what do you think about that? And, you know, I've got these symptoms and then you can say, you're right. You do have those symptoms, but you know, it could, it could be that chances are the stuff you read online, they're on the rarer side of things, mm. right? Yeah. Um, not all of us have <laughs> those awful, awful diseases. Yeah. Uh, very few of us do in reality, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so it's that kind of education. But um, the really cool part, at least in my practice, is it's educating. But then I can also um, order some tests to see, right? right? So um, there's kind of uh, that part that say, uh, if I didn't have the practice or the scope that we had in Alberta, it would be, well... I hear your concerns, I know you're anxious, and it's still eight weeks to get into the physician, yeah. or you don't have a family doctor, <laughs> mm. so your only option is a walk-in doctor um, who's busy and probably doesn't have a lot of time to dive into this, or an emergency room, which is far and hard to access care, and again, lots of times it's not the most appropriate place to go for, for that care. And so, yeah, let's start with some tests and let's see what mm. I can do and see I can figure out, and so we can kind of reduce that anxiety. I mean, health, health, wellness, and the medical system in general is just such a monstrosity of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it causes so much anxiety yeah. um, that, yeah, um, I feel grateful that I can help reduce some of that um, anxiety for folks and get the ball rolling on figuring out what's going on. For sure. Yeah. So speaking of anxiety, mental health yeah. is another arm of this that is so huge. Um, I, do you feel like, I mean, we've, for as long as I can remember the, it, the public conversation around mental health has been, you know, encouraging people to speak openly about what they're struggling with, you know, or, uh, you see celebrities, um, coming out and talking openly about their depression or their anxiety and trying to normalize it. And in, in Canada anyway, it seems like we've been trying really hard to, to get the message out that. Everyone struggles with mental health. Mental health is a part of our overall well-being. Uh, you know, something going on inside your brain should be treated no differently than having a broken leg, that there shouldn't be that kind of stigma and judgment. And yet, there still is a lot of um, misunderstanding. There still is a lot of uh, stigma around mental illness. Um, as a prescribing pharmacist, um, I'm sure that you're often in a situation where you have a patient face-to-face uh, -face that you can tell, okay, there's whether they're openly, you know, talking about it or not, you're probably relatively sure that you're dealing with maybe some, some mental health concerns, um, maybe a mental illness. Where do you sort of start in, um, in that one-on-one -on -one approach with someone that is maybe struggling? Yeah. Wow. Mental health, uh, extremely difficult for sure. Right. Um, highly complex. And I think at the end of the day, 
uh, we'll start maybe simple. And it's really just about um, mental health is, is just health yeah. <laughs> and wellness. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first step for me is seeing that patient not as um, diseased, I guess, but just as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. Life is hard for all of us. Uh, It's not an easy thing to go through and we all have struggles. Uh, And at the end of the day, as a clinician and as a pharmacist, um, I've got to see that person as a person first. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it's about connecting with them that way and finding Mm -hmm. out what's going on. Right. Um, Sometimes it's okay. We really do have a quite serious mental illness going on here that we need to uh, treat appropriately. But sometimes it's they just had a hard week and they lost a sibling or, you know, they're struggling with their finances or they don't know how they're going to get their kid a birthday present or, you know, they just had a hard time with a friend or, and it's just taking that extra time with them to listen to them, make them feel like they're heard and that I see Mm. them because Mm. they're just another person, right? Yeah. Um, It's kind of taking off the clinician hat for a moment and just saying, I'm a person, I hear you, you're a person, Um, let's start there, right? Yeah. Um, And I mean, sometimes medication is a wonderful option and sometimes, you know what, it's not a good option and there's other ways that we can get at this. And yeah. I feel fortunate we live in a community with uh, resources, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm able to often say, you know what, I hear you. Have you gone and talked to to somebody in the community? And I can refer and, you know, get those aspects that we maybe don't think of as health, things like our finances, things like our living situation, things like our our diet um, or like loneliness or um, things like that, that, you know, if if we get people connected to the right things, Mm -hmm. um, it can drastically improve their, their mental health and just their, their state of mind. Right. So um, I think that's so important because often I think patients will enter a clinic room or go see a, a healthcare provider and yeah, just feel brushed aside or, or here's a pill or, uh, and not that that's not appropriate because it certainly is mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, but the first step is really understanding what's going on in that person's yeah. life, right? What, so. <laughs> what I love about the way you described that, Eric, is that it reminds me of in the, in the church world, we would call it pastoral care, right? So a pastor or minister um, that's providing kind of an overarching, just wellness level of care to your congregants, your congregation members or community members in general, is that minister or pastor would, would go and speak with people. They'd go and visit them in, uh, in the hospital, or they'd go and visit them at the lodge, or they'd go and, and visit them at home, or they would maybe come into the church and you'd have a, you'd sit down and have a conversation, or you'd have a cup of coffee and you'd see how they're doing. And I, I've not been in that in that official role or capacity. I think we, we all provide pastoral care to people in our lives, but uh, ministers are usually pretty good at it, right? Or they're sort of looked toward as like someone who could provide that level of care, that pastoral care. Uh, whether you're an official pastor or not, I don't think is so important, but uh, our minister here, Robin King, he's amazing at it. Um, we've got other people in our community that have provided pastoral care uh, within the community, like Alan Richards, uh, Carrie Domstad, and they are able to just be with people. And they're not, a, they're not a therapist, you know, they're not a licensed therapist. They're not, um, a, a licensed psychiatrist, 
but there's somewhere sort of in the middle. And it sounds like what you're describing, you're a little bit similar to that where you're not a therapist, but it's almost bleeding into ther therapy <laughs> type of like listening, right? Yeah. And just hearing their story. Um, and then you're also not a psychiatrist or psychologist that's going to treat the illness, but you have some knowledge in mental illness and mental health where you can kind of point people in the direction of, you know, maybe it's time to go and have an appointment with a psychologist or yeah. psychiatrist and, um, and see if, see what we're really dealing with here. But anyway, I just wanted to, to, to share with you that f for me, your description of what you do in that capacity, I think of like, I think that's a form of ministry. I think you're ministering to, uh, and regardless of what your religious or spiritual views are on that, like really the spiritual well-being of that person you're supporting is nurtured through that, um, just the way that you are uh, tackling their uh, mental and physical well-being. The spiritual health of that person is is inextricably part of that. Yeah. Wow. Totally. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's uh, my approach is is treating the whole person, right? Yeah. So um, when. I, I often hear patients say, I walk into uh, a clinic room or I'm with a healthcare provider and I just feel like all they see is my disease, yeah, <laughs> right? I'm yeah. just the disease that I have. Yeah. Um, and I hope what uh, for me and my approach is you're not the disease, you're a person, yeah. right? So, and that's what we're there for. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the, the, the spiritual side of all of this, how, and, and you sort of already just answered it, but how do you think spiritual well -be health and well-being fits into that overall holistic well-being uh, conversation? Yeah, I mean, all of it is huge, right? So I think for uh, us to feel well, uh, we need, of course, our body to be working properly. Um, mm. We need our life, <laughs> all of the touch points that we have with people uh, and our relationships to be working well. And then, of course, we need like our inner, yeah, our inner spirit or whatever you want to call that to be mm. in line and working well too, right? So yeah. it all goes hand in hand. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm certainly not the expert <laughs> on, <laughs> on that and would always reach out to, to colleagues for support in that way. But um, it's huge, right? I mean, mm. if, uh, it's kind of the trifecta, right? That triangle of care. Yeah. And yeah. If, if one of those is out of balance, um, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly something else can fall out of balance, right? Oh, yeah. So, like when, when any of us are struggling mentally, emotionally, spiritually, look how quickly your immune system starts to feel, be compromised or look how quickly, like, I'm sure there's, I mean, there's so many examples of just the connection between mental and emotional and spiritual health. And then all of a sudden these physical symptoms manifesting, like you've, you feel stress in your body. Absolutely. It's happening in your brain, but you, it, it's going to pop up somewhere, right? You're going to feel it tension in your shoulders in your neck and your jaw or that turning in your gut. Like, Totally. I think the best example, I mean, to, to dive down a little bit of a rabbit hole and geek out for a second, but the best Please. example <laughs> of that would be um, our use of antidepressants. So they were originally developed for depression, uh, of course, which is that uh, in some individuals that chemical misbalance in the brain. And mm -hmm. so it tries to help that. But through the years, what we found in chronic pain sufferers um, is that antidepressants are a good choice to help with chronic pain. And it's the, the same nerves we have in our brain, they're throughout our whole body, 
right? And so um, it, what we find is a benefit in chronic pain sufferers if we start an antidepressant, not because we think it's depression or anxiety that we're dealing with, but because of the way the mind and the nerves throughout our body work because they're all connected. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of turns down some of those receptors that are feeling pain. Right. Hmm. So absolutely. What's going on in our head affects our whole body. Right? Yeah. So and maybe that's um, a good option for someone who's like as opposed to some of the opioid uh, and more addictive uh, yeah. pharmacological yeah. pharmacological <laughs> solutions. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was just watching the uh, Netflix. Oh, what is it called now? Have you seen the Netflix series um, about the opioid crisis where they go down the story of um I, I know the one you're talking about. I haven't watched it. Gen yeah. For me personally, generally, <laughs> some of those shows are too close to home. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. They would, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I I forget the name. I mean, the, I think there was one on Disney. There's Dope Sick on Disney Plus, but the one on Netflix is something else. I forget the name of it. But, yeah, there's, yeah. It's scary, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's... Totally. It's... Uh, yep. It's a another whole pandemic, yeah. really. It's yeah, it's it's awful, right? And it's um, I mean, there's lots of contributing factors to it, but one of those contributing factors is you know clinicians just didn't have time to take that extra few minutes to figure out what's going on, what's right? really going so, on, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one of the contributing factors, and not to lay blame on that because it's a very complex, uh, oh, yeah. very complex situation. But yeah, I mean, prescription opioids um, have their use. And um, actually, again, a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, in the Western world, we're very fortunate because we actually consume, what is it? I think it's, I'm probably wrong on this stat. So don't look me up and, and come back and yell at me. But I think it's something like uh, the Western world, the developed world, consumes 90% of available opioids in the world. Whoa. So, I mean, what that means if you're in a poor country or a third world country is you don't have adequate pain control after surgery yeah. or, yeah. you know, in acute trauma, like breaking an arm or breaking a leg or something mm -hmm. like that. So um, they have definitely their, they have their uses and we're fortunate that we live in an age where we, we have them mm -hmm. uh, for those cases. But yeah, the um, it's scary out there. Well, and I'm sure it's a case of opioids are overprescribed yeah. within certain segments of a population yeah. and massively underprescribed or under available in other parts of the world, developing yeah. countries, yeah. to your point, especially. Yeah. It, that reminds me of something I just uh, was listening to an interview on CBC Radio while I was driving a week or two ago, and they were talking about uh, ADHD in adults, especially women, um, being underdiagnosed, and now there being recently being a, a large rise in um, treatment of ADHD in women. And a lot of it is like, it's, it's all over TikTok and it's all over Instagram <laughs> right now. Lots of reels and people talking about their new diagnosis and what they're struggling with. And, and in the description of the symptoms of adult ADHD, some of those are relatable to all of us. You know, the struggling with focus, struggling with uh, forgetting something, struggling with um, feeling overwhelmed. Like these, these are things that all of us feel. Um, of course, a diagnosable ADHD condition is at another level where it's affecting your quality of life, it's debilitating, it's all those things. So um, there's a distinction there. The expert, uh, it was a univers uh, university professor from I don't remember where, who was talking about how it, it's a complex issue because you have family doctors who are whipping out the prescription pad and giving um, ADHD meds to people where they haven't actually been through a thorough 
ADHD screening or testing process. And in some of those cases, they probably aren't actually, you know, diagnosable with ADHD. But then at the same time, there are probably thousands of women who have clinical ADHD and are not being treated because they don't understand that that's what they're dealing with. They've always, it's, it's normalized to them because that's how they've always felt. And they just don't have an awareness of the condition. Yeah. And so it's, it's a weird, it's not black and white that, you know, opioids or ADHD meds or any prescription medication is either overused or underutilized. It's often both. Would, totally. you, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Right. And I, I hope anybody who is, who is using that doesn't feel <laughs> judged because that's, that's not the case at all with this, right. Is at the mm. end of the day. Um, yeah, every, uh, medication is a tool, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes we pick the right tool and sometimes we pick and, you know, we pick a tool and it's not quite right for the job, but it kind of yeah. works. And sometimes it's just the wrong tool altogether, right? Completely, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, right? And um, getting appropriate assessments and diagnosis uh, and treatment plans in place is even harder in the age of healthcare shortages that we're mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. uh, and wait times that are in the years to see somebody yeah. um, for assessments. And yeah, it's, it's rough, right? Yeah. 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 So, and, and we're trying to get through, and I think some of it um, is just like our society as a whole. Um, we don't have a lot of room for, I guess, diversity in terms of how we approach life anymore, right? Like, mm. um, it used to be, yeah, it was, you know, you've got a little bit more energy. Well, yeah, you're suited, get outside, run around, play, right? Mm. Um, and so I think as, yeah, we've, we're just, society has changed so much, and I think we maybe have a narrow vision of what, an individual should be and what they should look like. Yeah, and I, and I think a part of what you're saying is just that we've our lifestyle has changed so much yeah. versus humans a few thousand years ago where you were like outdoors all the time yeah. getting fresh air and sunlight and um, physical ex exertion almost all of your waking hours. Yeah. And now most of us are, we were sitting at desks well, through our childhoods and get out for a brief recess. And then we finish school and we get into a cubicle or <laughs> we get into a, a, a clinic or yeah. a shop or, a, yeah. you know, wherever you're working. And, uh, but most of us are living an indoor, fairly sedentary compared to historical norms for our species lifestyle. Yeah. And that's got implications, right? Like sure. it's hard to get yourself motivated to just, you know, go for a bike ride or a jog or a hop on the treadmill for an hour. And, and even then, if, if you do that every day, you're still like, what's that an hour a day that you're, yeah. you know, elevating your heart rate and, and doing all those things that hunter gatherers would have been like a <laughs> lot of the time spent on the move, right? Yeah. 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 There's lots of studies. Uh, I did a course. It was a couple of years ago uh, on, they called it vitamin N, which was, N was for nature. Oh, uh, and so, cool. yeah, they did, there's tons of high quality studies out there that saying just, yeah, getting outside, getting in nature, mm. connecting with the soil um, has massive implications on mental health, on physical health, on yeah. um, that whole approach to life is yeah, we, we, I think mm. generally speaking, we're as a whole, we're missing out on, on that wonderful resource that is just literally outside our door. Yeah. I, I think another big part of that is, um, whether we're talking about the spiritual being mental health again, 
the holistic well-being of a, of a human is connection to other people, um, feeling like you're part of a community, that sense of belonging. They talk, there's a lot of studies around pe people's effectiveness as employees or as like in the workforce that if people don't have a sense of belonging, they're not going to really produce, right? They're not going to perform um, uh, as a team member. Uh, but just for our well-being, we need that. We need in, in our life, we need a sense of purpose. The, the, the things we're spending our time on have meaning um, for us personally. Like only I can decide what has meaning for my work and yeah. same for you. And most people, you know, tr swap them in lifestyles or work uh, jobs with any other person and they're maybe not going to be happy. Like we're so individual, right? So you have to find what what works for you as an individual, obviously, but we, I think in our, in our church, that's what we're trying to do is create a sense of belonging for people, a sense of welcome, a sense of uh, a place that feels safe for anyone to, to walk in and, and be a part of, uh, people of all ages, of all ethnicities, obviously, and sexual orientation. We talk at the beginning of every church service, we go through like all are welcome here, people of all economic circumstance, of all um, genders and orientation and, you know, thoughts and beliefs. So it doesn't matter. You're, we're all just human. Right. Um, and so that same need is we're, we're trying to fill that too. Just time together, singing a, a, a hymn or a song together, um, is, is similar to what you're talking about with just getting out in nature and breathing fresh air. And, uh, it's just good for the soul, those yeah. things. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think, uh, in my pharmacy practice, that's, uh, I employ the same philosophy when people walk through that door, it's, it doesn't matter what they are. I'm there to provide care at mm -hmm. the end of the day. Right. So yeah. all that stuff is left and we're here for you. That's, that's our job. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, maybe, and maybe to kind of wrap up this conversation, Eric, back to this program that you're part of now, uh, if I can, I'm not going to remember the whole name, but the Advanced <laughs> Primary Care Pharmacist yeah. title. Um, I've heard that this is there's only 15 pharmacists across all of Canada that are part of this program. That's really elite. Uh, where are you in the process? What does it mean for, for you when you come out of it? What does it mean for our community and, and what you're yeah. going to be providing? Does it change anything? Yeah. Tell us a little bit more Good about question. that. I mean, so I am currently in the throes of the course. Um, it, uh, yeah, so there's, uh, why don't I take a step back? There's, uh, yeah, so there's 15 pharmacists across Canada that were selected for this. Um, it's run by an organization called Team Primary Care, which um, is, I guess, co-led uh, by the federal government, uh, the College of Family Physicians of Canada, um, and the Foundation for Advancing Family Medicine. Um, and the intention of team primary care is to really uh, take a giant leap forward in how primary care is delivered uh, in that it truly, they want to truly create an interdisciplinary model of primary care delivery. Wow. Um, so that at the end of the day, um, it's not just the one resource that patients have to seek care. Um, the model that they're trying to work towards is something called the patient medical home. Um, hmm. So essentially it is patients have a medical home um, hmm. there where they can get access to timely care. Um, and it's not necessarily just physician care. So it's hmm. uh, an interdisciplinary 
team, uh, whether that's a pharmacist or a nurse or mm. um, a physiotherapist or a, or, a, or a mental health therapist or a social worker or that kind of thing. So wow. uh, it's really meant to create a model that's sustainable um, and um, uses the expertise of everybody that's been trained through all the different educations that we've that we've got. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's I'm, almost like a pilot. So specifically for this training, uh, for pharmacists, it is uh, a proof of concept. So they yeah. want to, uh, create a certification process that pharmacists can go and get wow. this extra training afterwards and get yeah. a, an additional certificate essentially yeah. to prove that they've got extra skills and abilities in terms of delivering, uh, comprehensive primary care is what they yeah. want to do for, for pharmacists specifically. They've got, uh, team primary care has other pilots going on for other professions and that kind of okay. thing. But um, yeah, so that's what they're doing for pharmacists. Um, I am two weeks into the course. Um, <laughs> uh, it has been a lot of work without a doubt because uh, sure. the first 12 weeks are um, kind of virtual. So because we're across the country, we it's not like we're in a classroom together right. learning. So I'm in the store, I'm in the pharmacy all day working away and then usually at night put the kids to sleep and then I'm doing some coursework for two to three hours every night. So wow. um, yeah, yeah, it's certainly uh, maybe a little bit more work, if I'm honest, than what I expected. But I think the um, it's separating into two week modules. The first uh, two two week modules about forty hours of coursework. So uh, in two weeks, so it's a lot. They're That's moving. Heavy. They're moving yeah. fast, but uh, it's good. I'm I'm energized by it. I'm excited by it. Yeah. Um, because as somebody um, in the health system, but also from a patient perspective, um, we we need to change how we deliver care right it's people it's so much more complicated there's not enough providers yeah um, there's so many more patients and so it's yeah it's, it, it is exciting it's awesome so right do, do, so. so you do you are you saying that you feel like it's time for some transformative change versus incremental growth or change of the existing like you said yeah. earlier we have a system of healthcare yeah. delivery that's yeah. 70 80 years old yeah. or more and it's this multi-billion dollar system that every new government is tries to fix the, yeah. what's broken in healthcare, right? Yeah. It's age old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ever since we were kids, that's what people were campaigning on is all these promises. <laughs> that we're going to fix healthcare. Uh -huh. and, yeah. But can you really fix something by tinkering with the exist or do you need to like come up with these new models of yeah. delivery and then almost not start from scratch, but really build a new model, build yeah. a new system. Yeah. I, I, it's, I, so I personally, I believe in both incremental and transformational change, right? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you, all, you can only get there by every week making a little bit of improvement. Sure. And then 10 years later, it's holy smoke, look where, look That's where we That's how we grow to. as individuals, That's right? That's right, yeah. Um, but you they, can also, as individuals, it, experience a transformation where overnight you're like, boom, there's bingo. something new available yeah, to me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I will, uh, not that I can speak for team primary care, but certainly in their vision and in what they've communicated, they're looking for transformational change, right? Mm. Um, it is hard as uh, clinicians, you get get into a way that you practice and how you deliver care. And so when somebody comes to you and say, hey, we should practice this completely other way that you've never practiced before, yeah. um, that's very challenging, right? Oh, yeah. And then 
Apart from that, of course, there's all the reimbursement models and financial incentives that really complicate and just oh, yeah. completely mess up how care should be um, <laughs> delivered. Yeah. Um, Even but, when we're in a you know public health care system, yeah. it's still very complicated, the uh, yeah. funding side. Of things, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, what if if I if I could be a dreamer for a minute, I would. Yeah. Transformation is what I would love to see. Right. Because yeah. I think that's what's needed. Um, I always um, struggle as a care provider when uh, you're working in the system and it always only seems like, you know, the ideas can only come from people in the system <laughs> uh, yeah. when, uh, you know, you've, we've got scores and scores of stories and patient issues. Uh, and if we just listen to them, we would be able to fix it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's the goal. Uh, I think, uh, I think with any change, you know, you try to move it forward and there'll be hiccups and you learn sure. from it and, and you change again. But yeah, it's, uh, it's five months, uh, to get through this. So yeah, the first 12 weeks are the virtual learning and then there's a placement, uh, within, a um, a primary care delivery site. Oh, uh, wow. I'm not sure where that's going to be yet. <laughs> uh, they're still working on that, but, yeah. uh, and then after that placement, then there's some more work on how, um, we can transform our current local practice site, uh, to wow. advance the goals. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's exciting for our community and yeah. I'm curious to see what, what that's going to look like months from now once you're bringing back some of that learning yeah. um, to our community. What, yeah. what do you think it's going to change for the average person who's um, yeah. walking in uh, yeah. to the Basha Pharmacy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really good question. Um, again, if I put on like my uh, super optimistic hat, what I would love for is... Um, patients to be able to walk into uh, anywhere and get the care that they need, right? So whether that's the pharmacy, whether that's a clinic office, whether that's, um, you know, within our social services framework, uh, our churches, our, uh, our Schools education and, yeah. institutions, yeah, exactly, that we've got this wonderful interconnected system that people mm. can get care, it doesn't matter. Any any door is the right door uh, when somebody asks for help, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Now, if I take it back a little bit and maybe get a little bit more realistic, um, uh, what I would love, a dream, I guess, would uh, specifically around medical care would be um, a place where patients can walk through the door, get timely access to care um, from uh, a healthcare provider. Um, and if it's, you know, not their, you know, traditional family physician, um, it's somebody that can navigate and, and help them find the care that they need. Right? Yeah. So uh, it's got to be timely. So there's kind of a saying they're working on where it's the, the right person with the right uh, practitioner at the right place and the right time. So mm. um, it's kind of navigating that where uh, changing, uh, even patient perspectives. Cause often it's, Oh, I have concerns. I got to see the doctor. Well, maybe it's not the doctor you got to see. Maybe it's the pharmacist. Maybe it's actually a nurse. Maybe it's, um, mm. the social worker that you got to see. So it's yeah. kind of, um, creating a model where patients have that place that they can just go to, they have a concern and they can quickly access care. That would be the ultimate goal. Right. Guess, right. And which would take oh. pressure off of the wait times for family doctors and huge, like right? Any, any physicians. Huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, again, if I if I think of like the traditional model, uh, generally speaking, uh, so family physicians have something called a patient panel, um, where you know they collect 
a thousand or fifteen hundred patients, and they say, "Okay, these are my patients, <laughs> um, and these are the patients that I will provide care for." Yeah. Um, and, and once you hit that that ceiling or limit, you're no longer accepting new patients. Th that's right. Because you're. That, yeah, that's right. So the ultimate, and in a world of scarcity where we don't have enough family physicians, it's it's pretty easy to do the math to be like, okay, yeah. there's... You need this many doctors. You know, that's right. You need this many doctors because these are their panel sizes. And so, yeah, what I would love to see is panel, like create this model where the panel size doubles or triples so that, you know, one physician can care for 3,000 patients or 4,500 patients uh, because they're working in an inter interdisciplinary team and, yeah, you know, they've yeah. got access to those resources. And, you know, when you come right now, as an example, you can come to the pharmacy and I can, I can change your medications. I can adjust your medications. I can order blood work and make sure we're doing the right monitoring and that mm. kind of thing where that care traditionally has been delivered by a physician, right? Yeah. And that um, inform those changes or that care is still being communicated and shared with yeah. their family doctor, right? Exactly, like, right? This yeah. the, Again, the dream is this nice, beautiful, seamless um, care pathway. Team approach. Where, yeah, we're, we're all working together as a team yeah. to support that patient's goals. Right? Yeah. So. so for people who aren't aware, which is probably most people in our community, and for sure I think most of our or all of our listeners, um, in our community here, we sort of have been working toward going down this path of and I don't know much about it myself. I just, I hear Jackie talk about it. I hear Robin talk about it, um, where our social services in the community, which are incredible for how small our community is, have been partnering and working with leaders in the school, with our CMP, with yourself, I think, um, and with some of the, like with Alberta Health Services, AHS, uh, with some of the other providers in larger communities um, that sort of support Basha community members when they have to go to Stetler or Cameras or Pinocchio or Lacombe. So does that sort of tie in? And maybe to back up, can you describe a little bit of what that initiative is and what we're trying to work towards for people who, like me, don't really understand exactly where we're at? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. The powerhouse of social services uh, in the community here. So lucky to have it. Um, but... Um, uh, to take a step back. So yeah, so there is uh, the Basha Wellness Team. Uh, and like you say, it's made up of all of those individuals. And it's really, again, trying to look at the person as a whole person mm. and break down barriers between all of those different uh, pieces of the person, mm -hmm. right? So whether that's education or health or social services or justice is trying to break down those pieces so that um, as a collective, we're caring for that whole person, mm -hmm. right? So things like, um, to make it real, I guess, uh, say I have a patient with uh, diabetes and we just can't get their sugars under control. And I'm very concerned about that because that means that patient's at higher risk of stroke and heart attack and complications like amputations and mm -hmm. loss and uh, vision loss and things like that. And then as I'm talking to them and finding out what's going on and, you know, how's your diet? Well, you know, what does it look like? And um, it's, well, I can't afford food. And so I'm, you know, I have to make poor food choices because you know, it's the cheaper. cost of yeah. food is, is crazy or, you know what, I'm in between work. And so I, I don't have any money right now. And so it's one of those, well, I can't get your diabetes under control until yeah. we look after these other things. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, it's trying to, yeah, break down those barriers and make sure we're looking after the whole person because I can work my butt off, um, to try to look after 
you know, their medical conditions and their health. But if the other aspects of their life um, isn't working, it's, it's no good. Right. So to use that example, that, that patient, that person would then be, you'd kind of refer them to the local food bank, to yeah, the exa- resource exactly. center. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and, and talking with them and seeing if they're open to it and get consent, of course, from the patient to, to share information. Um, yeah, I would send a referral over to the community resource center here and um, they would reach out and, you know, do their own assessments and, and, and navigate the patient through kind of the mm. social aspect of things while mm-hmm. I'm busy navigating through the health aspects of things that's amazing uh, it's i think it's uh, personally i think it's awesome like (laughs) you can't uh you can't make progress in health uh with without looking after the whole person right it's kind of mind-blowing that that's not the standard (laughs) for care delivery (laughs) and that that's like the fact that that's getting attention in other parts of the province like oh wow look at what they're doing in basha it's so novel it's so innovative like really is it like it's it seems pretty basic and pretty intuitive that that's how we should be treating human beings like oh you have all this other stuff going on obviously that needs to get addressed first like it's the basic hierarchy of needs right like you're not going to attain spiritual enlightenment when you're not sure how you're going to get your next meal or you're not sure how you're going to make your next mortgage payment. And right now, especially there's so many of us are having struggles. I mean, I think everyone has is struggling more than just a few years ago with all the rise in cost of living. So it's very real like for people, but it's, it just blows my mind that, that it's considered to be so innovative. I, I agree with you. Um, it, 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 yeah, it is completely mind-blowing, right? But I think maybe that speaks to the spirit of the community and just kind of the wonderfulness of where we live is that mm. the approach here is definitely, you know, we're in this together and mm-hmm. um, we see we see you. We see you as a person and not mm. just um, as you know, a number or a disease or, yeah. um, or a chart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I wish this was the standard everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe um, with yeah. things like this program you're going yeah. through, yeah. uh, and new pilot projects w- throughout the whole system, well, maybe we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope, I hope so. I'm, uh, I tend to be, uh, an eternal optimist and you mm-hmm. know what, we'll get there. We'll get there one day and just know we're working our butts off to, yeah. <laughs> to try to make it happen for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, that, that's probably a good, good place to wrap this up for, for today, Eric, I think, but, uh, it's awesome to hear from firsthand from you, um, what your journey has been like and bringing you to this place of doing work that you're obviously very passionate about and is obviously having a huge impact in our community. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're um, part of this really cool elite program and uh, glad that we all get to benefit from it here in Basha. And so just thank you, not only for this conversation, but for the work that you're doing. And um, and it's just so important. So thank you. Wow. I appreciate that, but no thanks needed. <laughs> it's kind of, it's one of those things, like you said, this is, to me, uh, patients walk through my door and the stories I hear, and it's, uh, this is how care should be, right? Mm. So um, I'll keep doing the good work and we'll just keep plugging away. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, you obviously found your calling, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. glad we get to benefit from it. Thanks for, for this conversation. Well, thanks so much for having me, for sure. Thank you, everyone, listening for joining this conversation and uh, having us in your ears today. Uh, You can hear lots more great stories like Eric's uh, on the podcast. You can search and subscribe to Six Ways from Sunday on your podcast app or on iTunes. 
And you can also check out past episodes on our website, which is risingspiritministry.com. Just click on the media button and you'll find the podcast there. Uh, Share this episode with uh, your friends on social media if you found it interesting or helpful. And uh, we sure hope that you did. Join us next time. And uh, until then, take care and be well.